0: Who here in this room believes that they're a missionary? Anybody? Okay. Who here honestly doesn't think of themselves as a missionary? Okay. Fair enough. Well, what I want to share with you guys this morning is, before we get started, everybody in this room is a missionary in some way, shape, or form. If you're a believer in this room, your job is to what? It's to share the gospel. Is that right? If your job is to share the gospel, then you're a missionary. On some level. Now, sometimes we have a tendency to think that a missionary is somebody who goes overseas, somebody who's in another country, somebody who can be unlike us, that they're special. Right? But that's just the thing. Everybody is a missionary. Everybody has a task. Everybody has a job to do. Does that make sense? We're we on the same path? Okay. I just want to, to make that clear before we get started. Kids, you can slowly make your way to Children's Church. And I just wanted to ask that question before the kids went back, because even at their age, even as small as they are, if they're believers in Jesus Christ, they're still on mission. They still have a mission every day, same as we do. And every one of us has a calling what does that look like? Well, we're to share the gospel. Well, if we're going to share the gospel, each capacity is different. It doesn't matter if you're an adult or a kid. You can still have an impact, and you can still move, and you can still be used by God. And we don't want to limit our ability, because if we limit our ability, then we limit God's ability to move through us, to teach us, and to use us to further his kingdom. So I want to talk about those things this morning. What does it take? What are the motives that we need to have? What do we need to do? And this morning we're going to be in, don't laugh at me, please. We're going to be in the book of Luke. That's me. My name is Luke, and I forgot to even introduce My name is Luke. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Um, don't judge the remnant by me. Our shepherd will be back in a couple weeks, so it, it's okay. Bear with me here. But we're going to be in the book of Luke. This is my favorite book. I had a conversation with Brandon a couple weeks ago. We were just talking about the Gospels. And he asked me, he goes, what's your favorite book? And I'm like, well, honestly, I was like, it's Luke. And he goes, of course it is. I'm like, no, not because of that. I just, I love how he's so descriptive. I love he uses a lot of words. I love how it's in depth. And that's why it's, that's why it's my favorite gospel. But we're going to be in the book of Luke this morning. We're going to be in chapter 10. And there's not going to be a whole lot. It's just the first, the first four verses. But in those first four verses, there is, there's a lot of meat on what Jesus does with these people. So let's get right into it. All right, let's read the text. So Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be going down through uh, the first 11 verses. So God's word says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, and behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So what I want you guys to to think about, we are on mission every day. If you know Jesus Christ in this room, when your feet hit the floor, you are on mission. When you move, when you go to work, when you stop at the gas station, if you're babysitting kids, if you're going to school, if you're teaching kids, whatever you're doing, you are on mission. And what's so cool about this is this is 100% transferable to us. God's Word in no way ever gets old. Amen? It's always, always, always relevant. Just because this happened 2,000 years ago does not mean it's not relevant to us and how we should use this example of Him sending out these first kingdom missionaries. So it's real practical. It's straightforward. And Jesus, as He walked the earth, we see this. There's always been people who've been attracted to Jesus, There's always been people who've been curious about Jesus, people who've always wanted to show respect and honor, and people who even believed in him, right? There's always been a very wide array of people around Jesus. But I want you guys to think about something. There's always been those people who are wanting to be around him, but not necessarily willing to follow him. And if we look at Luke 9.23... Jesus says in Luke 9.23, he says, If anyone would come after me, they must first deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Well, if we're going to do that, what do we have to do? We have to be committed. So you have to be more than just attracted to Jesus. You have to be more than just curious about Jesus. You have to be more than just interested. You have to be a believer. And if you want the salvation that he offers, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want eternal life, Jesus is saying, deny yourself. What does that look like? Every day you're on mission. Your life is for Christ. It's not for you. Your life is to further his kingdom. He'll take care of the rest of that. But not everybody is willing to do that. There's many curious. There's many attractive. Even those who believe we're not willing to abandon everything. So I'll ask that question. Are you willing to abandon everything? Have you abandoned everything? For Jesus. If he calls you to do that, would you do that? Man, I don't know if I can. That's a big step. But he asks for that. He asks for that. Have that faith in me. He says, it's the beginning of me and it's the end of you. Confess him as Lord and follow. He's saying, take me and get rid of the other stuff. Don't worry about everything else. So at the end of chapter 9, we'll see three of them. So at the end of Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, here's the first one. The first one in verse 57, he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. But the Lord said to him, what do you say to him? The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He says, I'll tell you this, don't follow me if you expect things to be easy. Don't follow me if you expect things to be comfortable. If you're going to follow me, it's about me and not your self-fulfillment. You have to say to yourself, I'm not worried about the material things. I'm just worried about you being here with me, and I'll let you take care of that for me. Jesus says, hey, I don't have anywhere to sleep. I don't have anything. If you want to come after me, you better expect not to have much. I can't guarantee you material things. I'm not going to guarantee you that stuff. I'm not going to guarantee you the health, wealth, or prosperity. And what happened then? That man disappeared. Look at the second one here verse 59 and Jesus said to another in verse 59 he just says follow me and that one said permit me first to go and bury my father and here's the thing about this in verse 59 permit me first to go bury my father here's the thing his father wasn't even dead yet he wanted to go home he wanted to get his inheritance so he'd be able to live the way he wanted to live and then when he was finished he could go okay now I'm ready to follow Jesus Is that what Jesus asks of us? No. He said to them, what's he say? He said, allow the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, when I call you, you come follow me. You proclaim the kingdom. When I call, you answer, and we will go. He's not going to send you out alone. Sometimes it can feel that way, though, can't it? It can feel like you're out there alone. We can get caught up in our own lives and get caught up in ourselves and go, well, I just feel like I'm out here on an island. It's just me having to do this. But he's here the whole time. What happened to that second one? The second one's gone. Look at verse 61 then. Verse 61, another one says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. So he wanted to go back and make sure he would sorted out all his relationships. Let me go back and make sure that I've drawn out everything that I can and everything that's needed for me for the future. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. If I call and you answer, then we'll go together. Don't worry about the other stuff. Don't worry about having to finish up things you have. Just go. You remember Matthew? He called Matthew. Matthew was a wealthy man, right? He called Matthew and said, come on. And Matthew left it all. He didn't say, let me tie up some loose ends and let me finish this stuff and let me bring a little bit of money and I'll count all that. No, just follow me. And he just came. That's what Jesus is asking from us. So here's three guys who were classified. I mean, disciples, hey, I'll follow. But they weren't willing to pay the price. They were attracted to who he was. They were curious about who he was. But when the rubber met the road, what happened? couldn't do it and this is what jesus is asking they even believed but they weren't willing to follow on his terms so as the stakes become higher people tend to fall off if the stakes get too high are you going to stay if god calls you to something crazy are you going to say okay i'll go if the stakes get higher than what you bargained for are you going to stay because it doesn't matter what the stakes are. Jesus promises what? I'll take care of you. He says what? I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm here. It doesn't matter how high the stakes get. I'm still here. And if we believe God is bigger than all that, then we don't have any problem then, do we? But do we believe that? Do we truly believe that he's bigger than that? That's what we have to believe. But you have some here. You have some here that were true. Some that were true here in, verse, in chapter 10. And we meet 70 of them. And this is such a cool story. we meet these 70, the Lord is going to send them out to prepare the way for him. Those who were willing to deny themselves, they were willing to take up their cross, they were willing to follow, and they were willing to be genuine, true disciples and go, okay, you want us to go? We'll go. What do you want us to do? And these are apart from the 12. This is what's really cool is these are still learners. These are students. These are followers. He picks these. He's still got his 12, right? He's still got the inner 12, but these are 70 more. And what's so cool about this is, this is where we can see ourselves in that 70. We can see ourselves as an extension of this 70. Going out, proclaiming the word, being on mission, doing what God wants us to do. And they were the lowly, right? They were the nobodies. They were just the average, ordinary people. They were us. They just said, I'll go, Jesus. If that's what you want me to do, I'll go. Now, we have the 12, right? We've got our core 12. We know Judas fell out, right? Matthias comes in. And then a little later on, we've got the apostle Paul. Right? So we have the apostles. Now, these guys are the core group, right? Now, we can't see ourselves as an apostle, right? And rightly so, because the apostles had special power, right? Power that we don't have. They were unique, but the 70, we can see ourselves there. We want to do the work. We want to get there. We want to be the people that God wants us to be. We want to be set apart for the kingdom. And if you go down to the end of verse 11 in here, you'll see, here's what's really cool. You'll see there to proclaim what? The kingdom of God has come near. That's their message. We're here to tell you about the kingdom. We're here to tell you about everything. Well, what does that mean? That means he's on the way. He's coming to your village. He's coming to your town. Jesus is on the way. We want to tell you all about him, and we want you to know what he's done and what he can do. Does that message change for us? It doesn't change for us. We We can still tell people who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's done in our life. We can tell people all about him, and we can be excited about that. Because here's the thing, he chose these 70, but he still chose every one of you. If you know Jesus Christ in this room today, he's chosen you. And if he's chosen you, that means he's chosen you for, for a particular task. Are you fulfilling that task? Are we working every day to do that? These 70, they had an awesome, awesome responsibility. These are missionaries for the king. Now, the first missionary in my mind is the woman at the well. I feel like she's the very first missionary because she went back and told the whole town and everybody was like, oh, my gosh. These are your first group of kingdom missionaries sent out before Jesus goes into their town. And if you go through this whole chapter, all the way down through verse 24, it talks about the whole thing. It talks about their whole journey. You get caught up in dealing with these. So first of all, I want to talk about the attitudes. Okay, What's the attitude for being a necessary kingdom missionary? So we're just going to look at the first four verses this morning and look at these attitudes that we need to have. Because if we're going to be like the 70, all of this is transferable to us. We can do exactly what they did. We can proclaim the message. We can talk to people about Jesus. We can tell Jesus or tell people about Jesus. But here's the thing. We got to have the appropriate attitude. So if you're going to do evangelism, right? If you're going to be a missionary, if you're going to proclaim the kingdom of God and tell people about Jesus, it's got to start with an attitude. Now, there's all kinds of trainings out there. You can train people till they're blue till you're blue in the face. You can give them information, you can learn theology, you can do all that stuff. But until you have a motivation to want to save people, all that doesn't matter. If you're not motivated to want to save lost people, if you're not motivated to want to tell people about Jesus, it doesn't matter how much training you have. It doesn't matter what you know. If you don't have a heart or have any kind of want to save people, you're not going to go out and reach them. You've got to be motivated, highly motivated. So let's look at verse 1. Let's read verse 1. It says, After this, The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, I have the ESV. That's the translation I'm using. Some Bibles say 70, some say 72. Your Bible might have a note, margin. Um, It's not one of those things that is like a primary issue. Could be 70, could be 72 at this point. It it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. Mine says 72. 72 but that's not something that you have to hang your hat on. The fact is, God chose these people to be sent out. So he sends out all of these. But they moved and went. And Jesus was in his ministry, right? And these are the final months of his ministry. So he's going to want to move through all these towns and these villages, and he's wanting these people to go out and share the gospel. Tell them that I'm coming. Tell them the good news about me so that they're ready when I get there. I want to make sure that they all know. I want to make sure they all know who I am. And selected is really cool because appointed, selected, he chose them. It's like I told you guys, he's chosen you. We have a mission. We have to carry it out. And what's really neat about this is in traditional Jewish times, they would send out heralds. Before the king would come. So the king's coming, so he, he's sending his heralds out to proclaim he's coming. He's on the way. Remember John the Baptist? He heralded the coming of the king too, didn't he? Put on mission. So this is standard approach for this time. Sending these people out? Jesus says, "I want you to go make sure everybody's ready because I'm coming." Share them, or share me with them. In Mark 6, 7, he tells us Jesus first sent out the 12 the first time, right? He sent them out two by two, just the same as he did all these. They all went out two by two. And this is really neat to me, okay? Why did he send them out? Why did he do this, two by two? Why did he send them out? There's a couple reasons. So Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says this, says, But there's something else that goes along with that, too. In Old Testament times, when you were confirming something, it had to be confirmed by how many witnesses? Two. So Jesus sends these guys out two by two. A, their strength in numbers. B, this is going to prove, this is going to confirm the witness. People are going to be more apt to believe if there's two people that are preaching the same message as opposed to just one, Right? So you have that strength in numbers. So they're moving through. They're saying, Jesus is coming. He's on the way. These guys are appointed. I want you to go to every town, every village. These are the advanced missionaries, and it's our responsibility as well. Here's what I want you to think of. We're like a kingdom force. Do you think of yourself in that way? Do you think of yourself as a kingdom force? You are a force for the kingdom of God. Do you think of yourself that way? That's pretty exciting when we think about it. We are the force that goes out into the world. We all know how screwed up the world is today, right? We've got to be a force. We've got to be going out. We have to be together in this. And we go out and proclaim the gospel and we share the word and we move. And lives will be changed if we just get moving. We have to move. That's the primary task of the church. Do you believe that? Do you believe our task is to make sure that we share the gospel and tell people about Jesus? Do you believe that? If you believe that, then we should be doing that. And if we're not, we got to get busy. We have to get busy. I am not great at that. I am not great daily at that at all. I don't have trouble with joy or being nice to people, but to bring up Jesus just randomly in conversations, I am not good at that. And a lot of times that's cowardice because I'm afraid that that's going to change the whole conversation. Well, guess what? It does change the whole conversation. But I can be too scared that they might think that I'm weird or I'm one of those Jesus freaks or something like that. So I'll be a coward, not say anything. We can't do that. We've got to be willing to step into that. Share him. Are you excited today about what Jesus has done in your life? Tell people. We need to tell people. That's our task. See, we can't be apostles like the apostles were in those times. We don't have that power. But do we have the power to tell people about Jesus Christ? Yes, we do. So let's go do that. So if we're going to do evangelism, here's what we got to do. It's got to start with the first one. It's got to start with the heart. So number one, first one, heart of compassion. You've got to have a heart of compassion. And want you notice this first motive. If you're going to be effective in telling people, it's not training, it's compassion. It's not what you know, it's how you feel. You can tell people a lot of things, but if they know that you don't care, they're not going to listen to you. You have to care about them. You have to care about their desperate condition. You have to care about the fact that they're a sinner that's headed for hell and that needs a Savior. And they have to know that you care about them and that you care about that. If you don't care about that, they're going to know that. You can pick up when somebody's talking to you and they're not really necessarily into what you're saying, right? Or if they even care about what you're saying, can you pick up on that? Yeah. People are going to be able to tell that. And you have to have a compassion. You have to have a heart-wrenching concern over these people like Jesus did. That's where our heart needs to be. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, Jesus said to them, He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then what's he say? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's huge. And if it sounds familiar, Jesus says this because he's telling this to the 12. In Matthew 9.37, he says the same thing. So this is something that's on the mind of Jesus. The harvest is huge. The laborers are few. We don't have enough people to go out into the harvest. It's not enough. And what made him say this statement, Matthew 9, 35-37, this was born out of his compassion. When he says that statement, that statement was born of his compassion. Everywhere the Lord went in his ministry, he was moved with compassion. If you read through Matthew and Luke, you'll see this a ton. It says he was moved with compassion. He felt compassion. He had compassion constantly because he knew the state of of these people's spiritual life, their condition. And he had compassion on them. He knew what they needed. He knew what was happening to them, for starters. And if you go through Matthew and Luke, you'll see that. And here's what's really cool about this. The word compassion, this is the strongest word in the Greek. It means like a gut-wrenching, aching feeling in your guts for these people. He felt such compassion for them that it was nauseating. Because he knew where these people were headed, how they were being treated, what was going on. Do you have a nauseating, gut-wrenching compassion for people who aren't saved? I can miss that sometimes. I can't say that it's nauseating or gut-wrenching. This is something that was making Jesus feel sick. And he says, pray. Pray that there'll be more. These people are sheep that are being led astray by their shepherds. These are people who are not being taken care of. They were not fed. They were not watered. They were not poured into. They were more or less left for dead spiritually by the people who are supposed to be their leaders of that day. And by the way, are there leaders and shepherds in today's Christian culture that are the same way? You better believe it. There are people out there that are not being fed the gospel. We should have that same heart of compassion. We should have that same zeal to want to share with these people. And he's so overwhelmed with sympathy, he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And here's what's super interesting about that. When he talks about this, what does he have in mind? It's the same phrase that he uses when he's talking to the Samaritan woman, but he doesn't mean the same thing. And this is what was really scary. So what's the harvest that he's talking about? The harvest is huge, it's plentiful. The harvest is the final judgment. What he's talking about in this particular passage, he's talking about the final judgment. And that's why he's so filled with compassion, because he can see all the way down the line of humanity and see what's going to happen. That's that gut-wrenching compassion that Jesus has. He looks all the way down and sees where they're headed, people who are being led astray by their false leaders, false teachers, And sees what they're headed to. And his heart aches over them. In Matthew 13.30, we have that one, right? He talks about the wheat and the tares. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be buried. But gather the wheat into my barn. This is final judgment. That's why Jesus is so moved with compassion. The harvest is at the end of the age. When the angels gather together God's people and put them in the kingdom, that's the barn, and he gathers the ungodly and he burns them forever. Can you guys see why Jesus was feeling this compassion? You see why Jesus had compassion on everybody? He knew what was coming. That's why we should be out there sharing. It's not necessarily that there is a huge field of souls that we're just ready to go out and go save. This is a huge field of people who need Jesus Christ and are heading for judgment. And if there's not enough of us, how are we going to reach him? And if we're not sharing the gospel, how are they going to hear it? So Revelation 14, 14 through 19, listen to this. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is scary stuff. He says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seating on the cloud one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle, and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out, came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who has authority over fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had a sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. See, this harvest is associated with wrath. This is why it should rattle us to our core. This isn't a story right? This is something that's going to happen, right? This is something that's going to happen to people who are unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus. This is going to happen at the end of the age. That should make us want to tell everybody. That should make us want to reach everybody that we can reach. So he looks at these people, and his heart's broken, he's sick, and here to compound the matter, back in verse 2, the laborers are few. We got this massive humanity that's heading towards final judgment, and there's not enough workers, You know how we get more workers? We have to tell more people about Jesus. That's how we'll get more workers. Is everybody going to come to faith in Jesus Christ? No. But that shouldn't stop any one of us from sharing the gospel at all. We don't know who will and who won't. We have to be the ones to share. We can't be content to do nothing, and it starts with the compassion of the heart. Unbelievers who are just waiting, we don't know. We have to share. You have people in, <laughs> in evangelism today, evangelicalism. Geez, that's a big word today. They don't even want to talk about hell. They don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to talk about any of that. But it's got to start with people understanding where their condition is. They have to know. It starts with the message of there's deliverance from eternal hell and judgment, It's not a message of, well, if you want delivered from stress, if you want delivered from worry or anxiety or the issues of life, come to Jesus. That's not true because that doesn't necessarily happen, does it? Anybody in here who has come to Christ have more times where they get stressed or worried because of things than before? I can say I have. Jesus doesn't promise that everything is sunshine and rainbows, does he? He says, come follow me and I'll take care of you. The problem today is nobody wants to mention the fact that the bottom line is God saves you. He doesn't make your life perfect, but he saves you. And what does he save you from? He saves you from hell and final judgment. He saves you from a life of condemnation, eternal life of condemnation. But we don't hear that a lot today. And that's one thing that I think all of us need to make sure and not take for granted and thank God that we have a pastor that preaches that message every single week. It's not candy-coated. A lot of preachers will candy-coat it. They don't even want to talk about that stuff. We don't necessarily hear what, get to hear what we want every week, but we get what we need. And we're loved enough to be told that. The Problem is, there are pastors today who don't do that, shepherds who don't do that, We've got to have that heart for compassion to know that everybody is headed that way, and we have to do our job to make sure that we share the gospel with as many people as we can. Look at number two. Number two should be a motive of prayer. Second is prayer. Say, well, how are we going to do that? Look at verse two again. What does he say? Verse two, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then he says, what? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, into his harvest. Don't just pray for the salvation of people, right? Pray that he will raise up more people to go. And I'm not saying going overseas. I'm not saying people going to other states. Just get more people to go to the next town over or more people to share in this town. Pray that he'll raise up more people. And the Lord of the harvest, that's an interesting phrase to me because the Lord of the harvest, who's the Lord of the, who's the, Lord of the harvest? John 5.22 says, The Father has committed all judgment to Christ. So Christ is going to be the judge. Christ is the executioner. So if God has given all that to the Son, that means Jesus is the one who is the Lord of the harvest. He's committed all that to him. So this is what's amazing. The Lord himself is the Lord of the harvest. So what is he saying? He's saying, pray to me to ask me to send more laborers out to save people from me. Isn't our God awesome? This is not give you chills. He knows exactly what's going to happen, but that doesn't change his compassion. It doesn't change anything about him. He says, still pray to me that I'll bring more. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's the one who's going to come back. He's the one that's going to be with the angels when they bring that sickle out and reap the world. And he's saying, pray to me that I will send out more to save people from me. He's the judge, he's the executioner, he's the one that knows and he hears those prayers and he wants to deliver everybody from that execution. And here's another way to put it, you can pray to Jesus to send send people to deliver people from Jesus, you can pray to the Son of God and ask him to send more messengers to save them from him. He's saying, pray that there will be more messengers to go out to save people from me. Jesus knows what's going to happen at the end of the age. And that's the beauty part about Jesus. He knows all this that's going to happen and he still doesn't change anything. He knows who will be saved and who won't be saved and he still tells us, don't change anything. My compassion is still for them. Even for the lost that won't accept me, I still have compassion on them. Go out, tell people, Jesus has all the authority. Pray to me for more. He wants to rescue these people. And you can even go beyond this. Jesus himself, right, he was executed. And you can go a step further and you can say the executioner executed or was executed himself to save people from his execution. I mean, the, to think about Jesus in that way, just to wrap your head around what he's saying. So Get busy. Go out and tell people I'm coming. Every town, every village, pray for the laborers. And how do we know if it's his will? Well, if he he tells us to pray for it, right, let's just pray for it. If he tells us to do it, let's just do it. I don't know the mind of God. I have his word, and I know what he wants me to do. If he wants me to pray for it, then I should probably do it. How do I know that it's his will? Because he says, pray for this. It's my will that there's more that will go out, that there will be more people. Then I need to pray for that, that he'll raise up more messengers so that there are more people who can be delivered from that wrath. And by the way, let me ask you a question. What happens if you're one of the people that God chooses through someone else's prayer? Because he can do that, right? What happens if he does that? How are you going to respond? What are you going to do? Are you going to be like one of the three disciples we saw at the beginning? Are you just going to say, Lord, I'm going to go? I don't know what you have me doing, but I'm just going to go. Because if you believe he can do that, he might call you. And if he calls you, then you have to get stepping, right? He doesn't ask you to know everything. He just asks you to be obedient. Just move. Just move. So number three, urgency. So we need to have a heart of compassion. We need to have a heart of prayer. We need to have a heart of urgency. AJ talked about this last week, right? We need to be urgent. This needs to be something that we look at and we go, this is the time. Now is the time. I don't want to wait. I have to be urgent. We don't know the time when he's coming back, do we? We have to be urgent. Look at verse 3. Look at the beginning of verse 3. The beginning of verse 3, what does he say? He just says, go your way. Just go. Get moving. It's urgent. Jesus is months away from the cross now, and he's going to be moving through these towns and villages. He says, hey, get going. Get moving. Tell him I'm coming and be urgent. Go your way. Keep going. There's no time to delay. Don't gather anything. There's no time for training. You've been with me kind of long enough. Let's get going. Everybody, get moving. And they were trained enough to know how to do this. They weren't well trained. These weren't people who sat under Jesus in a theology class for 10 years. These were people who just said, I just want to follow and do what you want me to do. He says, okay, then go. Did they have any kind of evangelistic training? I don't think so. Now, is that helpful to know? Yeah, is training helpful? Absolutely. I'm not going to throw that out. You have to know that type of stuff. It's good to know different, let's say, cults. It's good to know different religions. It's good to know where you can come in the conversation and share Christ. It's good to know those things. But do you need that to tell somebody about Jesus? No. It's good to know how people think, different philosophies, but we don't need that to share the gospel. But eventually it comes down to the fact that if you know how to be saved, this is the beauty part about the gospel. If you know how to be saved, you can tell somebody how to be saved. If you have been saved, you can tell somebody how to be saved. You don't have to be some great theologian. You don't have to say, well, I don't know enough about the Bible, or I'm not sure that I really know enough information. Or, no. If you knew how you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you can tell somebody else how to do it. Knowledge isn't going to get you there. Know how you did it, know how Christ intervened in your life and changed you, and tell other people that. Everybody in this room is able to do that, there's no training. Jesus collects them, he says, hey, you guys are it, I'm sending you out, you're going, you guys be the ones that go before me. And they didn't wait, they just went. Go your way, it's urgent, time's short, we've got to get moving. Evangelism is immediate. And it doesn't matter if you were saved five minutes ago, five years ago, or 50 years ago, just get going. Just get going. There's people out there that need this, that are waiting for this, that don't even know that. You can be that person that shares the gospel with them, and their whole life can be changed. It takes 30 seconds of courage, right? All we need is 30 seconds of courage to share the gospel. That's all it takes. That 30 seconds of courage could change somebody's life forever. Don't wait. Get going. Move. So we've got compassion, prayer, urgency. Number four, I want you to look at number four, vigilance. Be on the alert. Still in verse three, after he says, go your way, what does he say? He says, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I'm telling you, you're going to be like a lamb in a wolf pack. I just want to let you know that. And let's be honest, right? If this was a recruiting speech, this isn't a very good one, is it? I'm going to send you out in the midst of wolves, and you're going to be a lamb in a wolf pack. Excuse me? And you're telling me to go with nothing. I don't get to take anything either? So there's going to be danger. And I love the honesty of Jesus, right? He never lowered the standard, did he? he said, this is how it is. And I love his honesty. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. You're going to be a lamb in the midst of a wolf pack. And he always told it exactly the way it was so that we would know and we wouldn't be surprised when it happened. We can't come back and go, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus. You didn't tell me this was going to be this hard. No, he said it was going to be this hard. And I'm letting you know when you go out, this is how it's going to be. So don't be surprised. But at the end of the day, guess what? You're not alone. Be vigilant. And it's really, it's very likely, I won't say that it is, because the Bible doesn't tell us that they were, but we know that all of the disciples, except for Judas, right? All of them were martyred, except for John, right? Now, I wonder if these 70 who went out, I wonder if they suffered the same fate. Because we know Saul was out wreaking all kinds of havoc on the church, wasn't he? He was there when Stephen was stoned. So is it likely that these guys faced that same fate? Could have been. Does the Bible tell us? It doesn't tell us, but if they've, there's people that are wreaking havoc on the church. Could it have happened to them? Could have. They were spreading the word of God. It was going on all over. He says, You gotta realize, right? It's not gonna be a bed of roses. It's not gonna be easy. Take up your cross. It's not yourself. Follow me. That's it. And I'll move with you. You're gonna have to do that, but you won't have to do it alone. So don't be surprised by that. Matthew ten, sixteen, he said, he said the same thing to him. He said to the twelve, He said, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. But, he said, be as wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Be smart. See, when he sent out the 12, he said the exact same thing as when he sent these guys out. And the disciples had been with him enough, they, they realized stuff wasn't always easy, right? It wasn't a cakewalk. But who'd they have with them all the time? Jesus was with them all the time. I'll take care of you. So beware of men. They're going to deliver you up to the courts. They're going to scourge you in the synagogues. You've got to watch out for the civil government. you got to watch out for the justice government. You've got to watch out for your family. This doesn't change today. Some people in this room are distanced from their family because of Christ. Am I wrong? And it's coming to the point where persecution in a fashion with the government or the law, that's probably not far off, guys. It probably really isn't. This stuff is going to happen. Lambs in the midst of a wolf pack. You got to be vigilant. Know there's going to be danger. He told the disciples the same thing. Look, this is going to happen to you guys. It's going to happen to us at some point, somehow. Everybody faces persecution on some level. And Todd said it before. If we're not facing persecution, we're doing something wrong because that means we're not being bold enough for the gospel. That doesn't mean somebody's going to crack you over the head with a baseball bat, but persecution will still come. He says, be vigilant. Know that it can happen. It doesn't always happen to everybody, but it can happen. And there's nothing wrong with being prepared. There's nothing wrong with being wise. But I want you to know that this is going to come down the pipe. If you love me, if you trust me, if you want people to know about me, they're not going to like you because they don't like me. Stay vigilant. There's no room for us to complain about it, right? Sometimes we can go, oh, man, so it's, it's, uh, this person got mad at me or they don't like me. Well, We can't do that, right, because Jesus said, this is going to happen to you. We don't have any room to complain. And at the end of the day, if that happens to us, why would we complain? Because they'd be treating us like Jesus. The book of Acts tells us that, Right? They went out of the synagogues after they were beaten and they were rejoicing. I don't know if anybody else in here, I don't know that I would come out of a place rejoicing if somebody beat me with a whip. They came out rejoicing because of how they were treated. They were treated like their Lord. Danger will come. Just expect it. It's okay. Be aware. Be vigilant. But here's the one thing we have to remember. When that comes and that persecution is staring us right in the face, don't run from it. Stand right there and know that you're not standing alone. Jesus is right there with you. Stand in that fire with him. Take that persecution. He's not going to leave you alone. You're going to be hated by all. Matthew 10.22 says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus knew what was going to happen. That we can be okay with this. But we can't be afraid to move. We can't be afraid to be out among people and be afraid to share the gospel. Move. He looks all the way down to the end of the time and at the end of time and he sees what's going to happen. He knows where things are headed. He knows where what the world is going to turn into. And he says, go out and share. Let people know. Even the ones that won't come to me, it doesn't matter. Just go out and share. There's people in this town right now that need Jesus, right? There's a good chance there's people sitting in this church right now that need Jesus. We can't leave anybody behind. If Jesus knocks on your heart to talk to somebody, go talk to him. If Jesus is saying, hey, call this person, call them. If you feel that, don't ignore it. We need to move. So have compassion. Be in prayer. Have urgency. Know there's going to be danger and vigilance. Last one, Trust. Number five is trust. Just have trust. Look at verse four. He says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Jesus is saying, I want you to learn to trust me. If you're going to go out like a lamb in a wolf pack, you're going to have to have a lot of trust. You're going to face a massive issue of having to trust me. Trust me for what's going to happen. You realize you gotta be urgent. You don't know what's gonna happen when you get there. Jesus says, But I want you to trust me. You're gonna have to trust me for everything. And why is this necessary? Because Jesus is trying to teach them a lesson. He's not trying to get them to go out and be paupers. And you think, Well, what am I supposed to do? Just go out and just live like a homeless person and not have anything or do any of that? No. Jesus is trying to teach a lesson. Trust me. He wants these, excuse me, once he's 70 to know, trust me. When you get to a town, you need a place to stay, I'll provide it. If you need money, I'll provide it. If you need food, I'll provide it. I'll take care of you. On a daily basis, Jesus provides over and over and over. You can trust him. He wants you to rely on him. Don't take anything. Look what he says. You go and you take nothing. No bag for money. You carry no money. You don't carry a travel bag. You don't have any extra stuff. Whatever junk you do want to take along, you can't take. Don't carry that. The shoes that you have on, the only shoes you have are the shoes that are on your feet. You can't even take an extra pair. Well, Jesus, what if I have to do a whole lot of walking? Where am I going? He says, doesn't matter. Take these. This is it. This is all you get. Well, Jesus, what if I need this? Doesn't matter. This is what I want you to go with. Now, if I asked one of you to come up here, and say, uh, put your cell phone and your wallet, um, anything else you have in your pockets. Ladies, leave your purse up here. Can't take another pair of shoes. I know some of you ladies are probably wearing pretty heels this morning. What if it was like, hey, those are all the shoes you get to wear? And I want you to walk to Huntington and tell people about Jesus. Now I know some of you probably in this room. When I said, "Hey, put your cell phone up here," some of you went, "Oh, gosh, I can't take my money. What if I need to get a drink? Well, I can't walk 20 miles in my heels, and I don't blame you, ladies, for that at all. I don't know how you wear them, anyways. So, no idea. But do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Trust me for everything." I'll take care of you. If he wants you to go do something, go do it. Could he send somebody in this room somewhere crazy? Absolutely he could. And if he does, go. He'll take care of you. What do I need? Nothing. You need Jesus. And he'll take care of the rest. I want you to go out empty-handed in absolute trust. We need to have trust for him like that. What is he going to have us do? I don't know. What's he going to have you do tomorrow? I don't know. Do you go out every morning and just go, Lord, I'm just going to trust you for the day? Now, I'm not telling you to wake up in the morning and put your wallet and cell phone and purse and all that stuff on the table and go, I'm not taking this today. (laughs) I'm just leaving. I'm not telling you to do that. What I am saying is, what is he doing in your life right now to show you you can trust him? And are you moving? And are you trusting? Are you stepping out when he wants you to step out? Are you trusting he's going to take care of you? Do you lean on him for that? Some of you guys know Jenny and I's story, how we came here. Probably the scariest thing I've ever done, except for when the doctor held up Chase Lynn and went, "Here's your daughter." I'm like, oh, great, now I have to take care of this thing. That's how I felt. <laughs> it's one of those like gut wrenching moments. When God called us here it was the scariest, probably the scariest thing I've ever had in my life. Because I was pretty comfortable where we were. There was a lot going on where we were at. But all I knew was that this is where he was calling us to go. And I was scared out of my mind. I thought I knew what he was doing, where I was at. I thought that I was working the way he wanted me to work and what he wanted me to do. But comes out, come and find out that wasn't it. And anybody who's been here long enough, right, this is, this is family. Right? If you have to leave, it's like leaving your family. And that's what it was like for us. It was like leaving our family. And all I knew is he wanted me to go. And man, I sure didn't want to go. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't want to go. And then <clears throat> when you don't listen to the Holy Spirit enough, sometimes you use your wife. I was <laughs> like, well, okay. Okay after some talks and things, and then it was, it was time to get stepping. And I can tell you guys right now, I wouldn't trade that decision for the world. We're so thankful where we are for you guys, for what he's doing, and that's truth. I didn't have any idea what he was going to do, what he was planning to, what he was planning to do how he was going to use any of that stuff. I just knew he wanted us to get stepping, and this is where we had to go. So when he calls you, move. Don't sit. Don't wait. Just move. And when it's scary, it doesn't matter. Just go. It'll be scary. And just let him do what he does. Because so I want you to look at something. Look at Luke twenty-two thirty-five. 35. Luke twenty two thirty five. 35, what's he say here? And he said to them, this was after they came back. He says, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack for anything? What'd they say? He said, nothing. We didn't lack for anything. You sent us out to share you, to talk to these people, to do all this, and all we could take was what we had, and we never went without He'll provide for you. He'll make a way. He will do this. And then to finish up, he says, greet no one on the way. Now, what's that mean? I don't want you to, I don't want you to think. It's like, oh, I'm not even supposed to talk to any people, anybody. In those times when you would greet somebody, it wasn't just a hi, how are you. It wasn't a fist bump or a handshake or a hug. When you greeted somebody, like you stopped at their house. You were in their house. Like it was a social gathering time. So when Jesus says, don't greet anybody on the way, he's saying, hey, don't stop and have this like social time with these people. I need you to stay on mission. I need you to to keep going because this is urgent. Don't stop to have a party. Tell these people about me and keep moving. Keep going. Don't get distracted. Don't depend on friendships to sustain this. Don't depend on making relationships with people so that they provide for you. I will provide for you. Don't try and build a relationship with somebody to use them so that you make sure you have something. Jesus says, rely on me. I'll provide for you. Don't go that human route. Don't trust in only people for all of this stuff because at the end of the day, what happens? People fail, don't they? God doesn't fail. Jesus is saying, don't try and build your relationships with people to get things. Trust me. The relationships will come, but don't go that human route where you feel like you have to depend on other people for stuff. I will provide stuff for you. I will make this happen for you. You're going to have to be cared for by strangers you don't even know, people that you haven't even built relationships with. You're going to have to Go into their house. You're going to have to trust them. And that's okay. Trust in me. I'll provide what you need. You go and you trust. Wherever God sends you, you go. You preach the gospel. You share me with everybody. If you have nothing, you still go and he'll provide. You'll have everything you need. Use what you have. And if you ever come to a point where you don't have anything You don't have to worry because God will provide for you. Because even if you get to a point where you think you don't have nothing, you still have Christ, which means you have what? Everything. I'll finish up here. Manny, if you want to come up and play real quick. Thank you. He's saying don't worry about the friendship side of this. This This is what he means by this. Keep the message clear. Keep the message clear. It's interesting that this isn't about, like, friendship evangelism. Some people can overrate that. And what I mean by that is some people will say, well, I can't really talk to anybody about Jesus. I can't really evangelize to anybody unless, like, I know them or unless I'm friends with them. That's not true. Some people aren't even comfortable bringing it up unless they're friends with him. Now, should you evangelize your friends? That's exactly right. If you're friends with somebody, should you tell them about Jesus? Absolutely, evangelize your friends. But don't wait until you're friends with somebody to tell them about Jesus. Don't wait until you know somebody better to tell them about Jesus. Don't wait until you're comfortable to tell them about Jesus. Because those those times might never come. Because when you go, I need to be friends with them before I can share the gospel. What you're saying is, you're saying the gospel needs help, and it doesn't need help. The gospel is strong enough on its own. It's the power to save, right? It doesn't matter if that person's our friend or not. person still needs Christ. People are saved by that power, and people are going to accept it or reject it no matter what. And don't worry about if those people are going to become your friends or if they are friends or how that works, because here's what it is at the end of the day. You aren't going to be liked by everyone. You can't be friends with everyone. So if you're waiting until you're friends or if you're waiting until that person likes you more then you are going to wind up very sad because at the end of the day, you won't ever get comfortable enough to share the gospel with that person. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Share his word even when it's scary. Share his word when you're uncomfortable. Share his word when it's awkward. Think of these 70 that went out you imagine how awkward and scary that had to have been for them going out? We have to share this with all these people that we don't know, and we have to rely that Jesus is going to provide everything for us through these people. And we're just going to go share the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. If you want to evangelize your friends, do it. But don't wait to your friends to evangelize a perfect stranger. Because a person that doesn't know the gospel is headed for hell. And if you're content with letting them go there, you probably ought to check your heart. And if you don't share it with them because you're too scared, you probably ought to check your heart. Jesus promises to take care of you. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the power to do that. You want to be a kingdom missionary. You want to to do what the 70 did. Compassion, prayer, urgency. Vigilance. Trust. What is is the gospel real quick? This gospel that I've been talking about for the last hour. What is it? It's pretty simple. God made everything perfect. He made everything perfect and he only had one rule. Just obey. Just do what I tell you to do. Just obey me. And what happened? Couldn't do that. Adam and Eve sin, sin comes into the world and we're separated from who? We're separated from God now. And that separation from God goes all the way down through time where there's no way for us to have a connection back with him until who? Until Jesus Christ. This isn't a story. It's not just some good bedtime story. It's not some fairy tale. Jesus is a real person. Jesus came down from heaven, God's son, and came down here to bridge that gap for you and me so that we can have a relationship and we can have eternal life and we can spend eternity in heaven with him. How did he do that? He sacrificed himself for you and me. The sin that separated us from God, the only sacrifice that was capable to bridge that gap was the sacrifice of a perfect lamb. That's exactly what Jesus was. He was that perfect spotless lamb. He died on that cross and took all the sins that you would ever commit, will ever commit, did ever commit, could ever commit, all of them. He took all of them on himself on that cross and paid for your sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He was seen by over 500 witnesses. This is true story. This is fact. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Guess what? That means everybody. Everybody has fallen short. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through who? Through Jesus Christ.
1: Todd tells us every
0: week right from Romans, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be what? You'll be saved. you can have salvation through Christ. If you know the gospel, share it. If you don't know, and this is the first time you've heard it, and the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart, don't wait. Please don't wait. There are people here that will talk with you. There's going to be people up here that will pray with you. If you are being knocked on by the Holy Spirit, make that move. Just get up. Don't worry about the other people in the in the room. Don't worry about anything else but you and your response to what Jesus is trying to do. Because here's the thing: you can accept it and have that eternal life, and Jesus can change your life. Or you can reject it and walk away and walk yourself right into hell by your own choice. Jesus is waiting. This is a gift. You don't need to bring anything but yourself. Bring all your junk. He'll take it all away. What does he do then? He covers you with his righteousness and God doesn't see you as that sinner anymore. He sees you through the veil of Jesus' righteousness and he sees you as holy, set apart. If God's calling you today, don't wait. Like I said, there'll be people up here to pray with you. If you know Christ today, and you need to be moving, then get moving. Why aren't you? And if you don't know Christ today and he's moving you to come to him, why are you still gonna sit there? Don't sit there. There's people waiting to know the gospel. Share it with them. And you've heard it today. Don't ignore it. Please don't ignore it. He'll take all that and take it away. He doesn't doesn't promise sunshine and rainbows, but you know what he does promise? He does promise life eternal. And he promises a relationship with him. And he promises a life that will be provided for. And he'll sustain you and give you all you need. So I'll leave you with this. You've got two options. You can get stepping towards him or you can get stepping away from him. And that's a decision you have to make. Just don't leave here the same you came in, right? Because if you do, you're choosing to.